welcome to Behind the Scene at NTSB. Thank you very much for joining us. Happy that you can join us for this episode. Um, if you don't know where to find us, you can find us on Facebook at NTSB Gov. You can find us on Twitter, NTSB, LinkedIn, NTSB, Instagram, NTSB Gov. And also just visit us at NTSB.gov. It is a very basic old school way to get a hold of us is to check us out on the website. So uh, from there, you can find out uh, how to find us on all the other sources. Uh, register to get our materials through Constant Contact. Sign up there. Listen to backlog of our episodes. If this is your first one, you can listen to all the other episodes we have behind the scenes. So we really want to uh, uh, give you as much information as possible. So uh, welcome you to connect with us that way. Um, and if you got us through Apple podcast or Google play, rate us, subscribe to us, let us know how we're doing. Um, uh, I hope that we get a high rating from you, but I don't want to pressure anyone. So feel free to, to give us a rate and, um, let us know. And that helps get us up. So more people can start listening to us. So thank you very much. I appreciate whatever you can give us. So this week I would like to say, and I'm excited because I've been like, not teasing her, but I've really been saying you're going to get on the episode. You're going to get on the podcast because uh, I walked down. We used to park next to each other and then they got rid of, you know, really nice parking spots that we had really close to the doors. Um, <laughs> but, you know, That's we can true. still make it work. Yeah. But I'd like to welcome Stephanie Matonic to Behind the Scene at NTSB. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. I'm really excited to be here. I like podcasts. So you kind of had me you had me at hello. So, um, well. yeah, I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm I'm glad it's an easy sell if you like it. Um, so uh, so Stephanie has been with the board for for a while. So we'll hear a little bit about how she got started and and kind of where she is now. So I want to start historically, you know, because of oh four, I think you said yeah is when you early two thousand four. Yeah, so you've been here for a while. So tell us what. What was your transportation story? What's your transportation history like? How did you sure. get to the NTSB? <laughs> okay, I wish I wish it was that <laughs> exciting. Um, I actually started at the board in early 2004 as an undergraduate intern. Nice. My my goal or passion at the time was public administration, and I wanted to work in HR. That was really where I thought I would go. I did what most you know, college kids do. I applied. Um, federal government has always been my goal in life. It's in my blood from my father to grandfather to my grandmother, my uncle, my brother, my oh, mom, geez, my dad. Wow. You um, are the federal government. We, I, I was born in the federal <laughs> government. So that's all I've ever known. And, you know, like most, it, you know, and I also grew up overseas. Uh, my dad worked for Department of Defense. Mm. And so, the goal was you join the military or you uh, go fed service. You follow what your family did. And so that was what I knew best. And I applied to a bunch of internships from the you know National Science Foundation to the NTSB, the Department of Defense. And I lucked out and the NTSB gave me a call and said, we're really interested in you. So why don't you come? An interview. And my first interview uh, was out at the NTSB Academy, which is now the training center. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I hate to say this, what they probably found most appealing about me as an intern was I really enjoyed paperwork. Um, so <laughs> that, that is a great skill, though. Don't get rid of that skill. It's a good skill. Exactly. And I think that was that's what got me in. They hired me. I got to work in uh, course development. Got to know all the modes of transportation. That's awesome. 
got the chance to meet almost like every division at the agency, you know, just by being an intern at the the academy at the time. And it really just gave me a lot of exposure uh, to, you know, this mission and what we do here today. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with it. And then I graduated and they said, we really like you, but we can't keep you on board unless you join a graduate program. Mm-hmm. Well, I had missed all those deadlines, but luckily got in somewhere uh, and was able to keep with the job uh, and stayed at the training center for for a little bit yeah. until uh, I moved into the world of NTSB board member. Um, so that's when uh, she was board member, Debbie Herzman at the okay. time. And she had heard that I was out there. She was looking for staff and asked if I'd be willing to join. And I thought, why not? That's really this cool. This is kind of neat. This is a different side of, you know, it's it wasn't human resources and it wasn't, uh, it was more on the political side of things, but it gave me an opportunity to uh, see what happens at the other end of, of this agency. So having the perspective of an, of an intern really starting yeah. from scratch and then going to work for a board member, uh, it was a learning experience and pretty awesome to be taken under her wing to get to know how this uh, agency works at her level. Were you still doing grad school while working for the board member? I was. Wow. Um, so I had started my grad program um, in public administration and was working that, uh, working here full time finally, uh, and <laughs> or at least fun, permanent. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was fortunate to even have a paying internship, yeah. but it really, you know, to actually have a permanent job was, was kind of nice. And then I uh, found a human resources job with the Department of Navy, and I left mm. for about a year and a half. Realizing that I probably just made the biggest mistake ever. Uh, I had really got to know the NTSB. It really became a community and a family and, you know, getting experience in all the modes of transportation and understanding what the goals and missions were. I went from a really uh, small agency to an extremely large one uh, and realized that maybe human resources wasn't exactly where I wanted to help people. Um, And I wanted to maybe try to find something else uh, in that world. You know, when you want to work and help people and in federal government, it's hard to find what exactly position, what position meets that. And I really didn't know. You have to test things out. I mean, you have to get around and try it out. Exactly. So I came back and I was fortunate enough to come back to work for... um, uh, he was then vice chairman, Robert Sumwalt, and he was, uh, it was really neat because not only, now I've had the opportunity to work as an intern, I got to work um, for uh, Member Herzman at the time, uh, and now I got to work for uh, vice chairman Sumwalt at the time. Uh, they came from different political parties, they had different experiences, different backgrounds, so, you know, talk about being able to see things through different lenses with both yeah. of these offices, I was extremely, extremely fortunate and and very thankful that um, 
he was willing to, you know, let me come back to the agency. And I really enjoyed did you know that time. Him, did you know him before you went to the Department of the Navy or did you meet no. him? Was he on the board I, yet? Yeah. You know, I was trying to think back. I He, he was on the board and I had actually got to know and I think trained his assistant oh yeah so i had a connection there not to say that's what got me back in but i stayed in touch and i found out that uh, his assistant was going somewhere else and said hey well you know if if he's interested in uh looking for someone who you don't have to train then you know count me in so my hr paperwork is still fresh exactly. i can process it I, myself i came back and all my files were still there so <laughs> so so it was an easy an easy fix i don't uh, know if that says something about us that we really don't I throw know. out paperwork like we probably should exactly but hey it makes their life easier on the other end when you come back apparently uh, so you know i it was great they um that was an opportunity that where i wasn't quite sure where I wanted to go with my career per mm-hmm. se, you know, human resources. I really enjoyed um, employee retention, recruitment, and that was really a focus area. <laughs> Sorry, the, the, the employee <laughs> the retention irony. part just makes me laugh. You laugh. Yeah, I, know. Yeah, the... I came back. I, so. I see it. I see it. I see it. <laughs> um, and so that was something I still wanted to do. I wanted to help people. And, and that's such a general term. So where do you find that uh, in federal service? Uh, I, I started to realize that there was, you know, interest on the outside and working for uh, Vice Chairman Simult. He kind of gave me the opportunity for my time um, outside the office to kind of focus in on, you know, some of those skills that I had working mm-hmm. in human resources and working with employees. Um, that actually evolved to getting um, into uh, hospice care. So it's kind of a transition. And, and, you know, during that time, um, I had a loss in my family. My grandfather passed away. And I unfortunately had to watch him go through uh, a lot of medical care that maybe at, you know, 92 years old wasn't uh, necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have the knowledge of what hospice was at the time. And, but looking back and learning about it shortly after his death really kind of opened my eyes to that world. And I thought, wow, if that's a place that I can help people, you know, that's amazing. And so, um, while working for, uh, Sumwalt, I decided that I was going to go back to school. Okay. Uh, and I ended up starting a master's program in social work. My goal was to, you know, once his term was up, I was going to go work full time, finish my uh, MSW degree and work in hospice. And that's really where I thought I was going to go. I was going to leave the comforts of my federal (laughs) civil service world. (laughs) But uh, all of a sudden, a position opened up in transportation disaster assistance. And I thought, you know, I wonder if this would be a good fit. Um, I had known about TDA since I was an intern. I They came through there. They did their trainings there. I got to know, you know, the, the crew from before. Yeah. And truly appreciated what they did. Didn't realize uh, how important their responsibilities were and didn't even realize it was tied to federal legislation at the time. Yeah. Um, I just thought they were really good people. Uh, and I thought, wow, this is a federal government agency that has a division dedicated to helping people. And now, can you explain a little bit about sure. uh, what TDA is? Because sure. even, 
I don't know, I mean, it's just, even within the agency is still kind of a hidden thing. Like a yeah. lot of people <laughs> know it's there, but don't know, understand the full concept of what it is and kind of the services that can be provided. And you go outside and it's, unless you've been impacted by someone or worked with someone from TDA, very few people understand, you know, the, the services and opportunities that are available. Sure. No, and that's kind of easy to do, but kind of <laughs> difficult. I feel we're a jack-of-all-trades yeah. kind of division. But we actually came about um, when the federal family assistance um, legislation came out for aviation. Uh, this was back in 1996. You know, that was a time in the uh, aviation industry. It was uh, they were having a pretty rough time with so many major aviation accidents. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of fatalities involved. And ultimately, you know, I know we learned a lot on the investigative side from those accidents, but what people may not realize was the impact that those accidents had on those families that really nobody had responsibility over. Yeah. There was really no coordination going on for these um, people who had just lost a loved one in a high profile, you know, accident. Well, and it's not just a few, but you have to think these are these are big planes, a couple hundred people exactly. or even more. Yeah. If you think about the, you know, the um value jet down in the Florida Everglades, um TW eight hundred yeah. off of New York. I mean these were significant accidents, a n number of fatalities, which means there was a number of families that were impacted. Yeah. During that time, these families, you know, were experiencing things like misinformation or not being contacted, not even knowing an accident had happened, having nowhere to go. They didn't know who to contact other than the air carrier, which at the time the air carriers were dealing with an accident. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of them had tried to have a family assistance component in place, but uh, it just was um, exceeded their capacity, you could kind of say. So when that happened, families got together. Uh, they advocated on behalf of all the families that had you know, lost a loved one to these aviation accidents. And then they took their uh, work to Congress, and they got many people to listen. And ultimately, they were able to get legislation passed, which is impressive, I would say, yeah. having known how you know laws get passed um it is a quite an effort but these families really worked together and they made it happen so we have three um federal legislations in play that impact uh domestic and foreign carriers that fly into the United States as well as wow. rail so from that uh NTSB was assigned a responsibility within that family assistance arena. Yeah. Has it always been at NTSB or was it somewhere mm -hmm. else and then kind of came here? No. Well, it's always been at the NTSB as far as our legislation goes. Okay. Um, there is some uh, responsibility for the chairman to, uh, or the director of the family affairs office to, you know, delegate responsibilities. But for the most part, we were identified in that law to yeah. um, really ensure that the needs of families were being met, not just by the air carrier, um, the one, but also uh, by a designated organization, um, which handles mental health and uh, family care services during, uh, after an accident. Yeah. So, you know, 
we were really starting from scratch here at the board. And I have to give an extreme amount of credit to, you know, those who came before me um, who really um, established this program and, and made it what it is today. You know, they took the time to really bring the expertise and the resources together to establish uh, a plan, uh, a guidance. So um, we have that to fall back on and we give that to the air carriers uh, to follow. Um, and our role at the agency has really evolved, I think, from, you know, dealing with the major aviation accidents that happened in the past. Uh, fortunately, you know, aviation safety has improved. Yeah. Um, we don't have oh, sure, yeah. what we used to experience, you know, back in the early 90s. I mean, you're getting to this part where you're working with some of these air carriers and the people that you're liaison with weren't around during some of the last exactly. last accidents and crashes. And mm -hmm. so it's something totally new for them. And I think because I, I sat in on one of the courses that TDA taught and there was a mix in the room. Some people had dealt with some of the crashes in the, in the 90s, early 2000s. And so they had a different experience. And it was interesting to see them interact with some of the newer, newer-ish hires who who hadn't. And the mindset is different. Just one's paperwork. You know, I know what it looks like. Not paperwork, but I know what it looks on paper and this is how it's supposed to go. And then here someone else says, you really need to have that plan because the minute you get there, the plan is just kind of a framework for you because you need to know how things go, but you won't be following that plan per se because it's all going to change. Exactly. And, you know, it's hard to think that, you know, how long ago 1996 was, but that's exactly correct. Some of our listeners weren't even born yet. I know. <laughs> I will not say where I was in 96, <laughs> but I was alive. Um you know, and that's some that's one of the struggles that we face is, you know, that historical knowledge yeah. is just not there like it was. Um, we we're not having these every day. We are very fortunate here at the NTSB that those who um, established the division for TDA, they're still here, but, you know. They're not going to be here forever, so uh, we utilize them as much as we can. Yeah, I mean, it's good to get that information. I'm glad that we yeah. haven't had to to use those those resources in in that capacity or do anything, but it's still good to pass that information on so that the next generation can learn from the previous generation. Exactly, and we've been able to uh, support in other modes of transportation. Uh, not just the major aviation and rail, uh, yeah. but we do have a lot of work uh, that we try to accomplish uh, supporting families uh, in in general aviation, um, other rail accidents, marine, highway, uh, even pipeline accidents. Uh, mm -hmm. We've uh, yeah. assisted with family assistance operations. We don't have the federal legislation uh, to hold anybody to anything. But, you know, I think we do live in a world that's evolved to to seeing that, you know, family assistance is important in an emergency management yeah. operation. Yeah. So I think it's unfortunate that that has had to happen with all the other types of incidents or disasters or mass casualty events that we are experiencing these days. You know, but I think it does put family assistance uh, at the top of people's minds, especially those who are involved in planning um, at local jurisdictions or airports, um, you know, it's something that may not have been a big awareness in the past, but I think as we move forward, it's definitely becoming a part 
a, a normal part, yeah. a common everyday part of an emergency management it's operation. It's no longer an afterthought. It's part of the initial initial planning, the initial discussion phase of when you're, you're doing all this kind of stuff. And I honestly think it's because of, of TDA's outreach to some of these larger carriers that then that spread down through you know, through all the other modes or all the other incidences, those kind of things. I mean, exactly. And, you know, the way we have our division set up kind of shows you just how important that we see uh, having a range of expertise, uh, stakeholders at the table. You know, our division has um, those who are involved with uh, disaster mental health, medical legal operations, emergency management, transportation carriers. You know, we are all from different backgrounds, but together we're, you know, a pretty dynamic force in the fact that when we go into a local jurisdiction or we're working with air carriers, wherever that accident happens, you know, we can kind of talk the talk um, yeah. because one of us has something to bring to the table because we may not all be able to cover, you know, I'm not an expert in medical legal, you know, yeah. social work is my background. Grief and bereavement is where I come from. That's where I, I uh, you know, put my hat into the, to the game. Um, but I have to talk with emergency managers. I have to, you know, figure out uh, things with medical examiners. Yeah. Uh, so all of those really do come into play with a family assistance operation. And for us in TDA, I think we've evolved to where we've been able to identify, you know, those important stakeholders in the family assistance response community. Sure, sure. Uh, We, you know, are very fortunate that we can be a resource or a benefit to our own investigators here at the board. You know, if they're looking for assistance, um, we can talk best practices. You know, I probably have a significant number of um, accidents that involve personal effects, you Mm -hmm. know, and families want those back, you know, so areas that I never thought I'd have exposure to or really needed to, um, I've been able to work those here, you know, in TDA. And it's, it's a, it's, I feel very fortunate to be a resource and to be able to support the investigations in the way that we do, Um, you know, families will always be our top priority. And, but, you know, we have an opportunity to help with that investigative mission as well. So it's, you know, I appreciate, uh, you know, being a member of a really awesome team. Oh, we'll make sure that we share this with your supervisor so they can hear all that. (laughs) Exactly. I know. And I just had my performance review. Oh, darn it. (laughs) But so going into, into TDA mm-hmm. with what you're looking for with the the newly acquired social work. Yeah. Uh, did you feel like you were able to get to use it or did you, yeah. was it a great, uh, great thing to step through the door and then you kind of made it your own. And so it's, it's kind of the, the social work plus, like you're able to yeah. have other aspects <laughs> to it. No, it was great. So when I was um, gaining the experience um, in hospice and bereavement care, I uh, had a really um, fortunate uh, experience because the hospice organization that I worked for, they were in need of bereavement volunteers at the time. They, I started off with patient care, so I worked with a lot of terminally ill uh, mm-hmm. patients, and I was honored to be able to do that. They were seeing a gap in the bereavement care volunteers. They just couldn't find anybody who wanted to work with the families. So these were the folks that had lost someone in the hospice program. 
and they just couldn't quite find volunteers to be interested in that that world and for some reason it i was drawn to that heavily and again this was probably 8 or 9 years ago and they were in such need of support that I really had an opportunity to learn from the hospice social workers, the bereavement social workers, um, and they really took me under their wing, uh, gave me exposure to grief work uh, and a range of trainings. Uh, and from that, that's where I thought this is this is my path in life. That's I awesome. need to become a social worker because you know if they're having a, if they're struggling getting volunteers to work in bereavement, then you know. I can't imagine that they're finding people uh, in the social work community to work in that field yeah. too. Social workers, you know, we, you know, you, you do clinical work, you have your own private practice, you want to, you know, work with diagnosis and, but you know, who wants to work um, with, you know, bereaved families? That's a tough, tough area. Yeah. You're dealing with people in crisis. Um, you're, you're dealing with a very taboo subject in society. Not many people like to talk about death and dying. Sure. Uh, so it's not something that's, you know, a friendly conversation. <laughs> uh, so, but I always had felt comfortable with that and being able to bring that uh, bereavement and hospice work and, and working with family assistance. It was almost a perfect fit yeah. uh oh, yeah I, yeah um knowing what i know now i mean it seems like this was like like your career path was was tailored to go into tda i mean exactly. uh, at the start of this conversation you were, were an intern hoping to be uh, in <laughs> hr yeah and uh he kind of you know went through some struggle and, and mm -hmm. not struggles but you know took different paths and, yeah. things and figured out kind Trying of what, where i fit where you fit in and then you found it and it feels like the TDA position ended up being like there couldn't have been a better match. Exactly. Where do you, uh, you know, I, I, and again, I, the moon's aligned. I don't know what moons? lottery I <laughs> won, <laughs> but how many places in federal government do you get to kind of uh, combine social work and emergency management? Yeah. And those two areas I've always, you know, and emergency management, I've always had an interest in that. You know, I think that's, where most adrenaline junkies kind of, you know, get, <laughs> you might know this, Eric, uh, you know, you want to be involved, you like yeah. fast pace, you know, you, you just, you throw yourself in 100%. Um, and, you know, where do you find um, that, you know, disaster response and social work and emergency management, where do you find those colliding? Yeah. And it really is, you know, that was my um, where I saw that I fit into this division. It was uh, bringing an expertise, having worked uh, several years with you know bereaved families, uh, and you know being able to apply that knowledge to you know the families after disasters. It was it was eye opening for me to realize just some of the skills and the tasks and the interventions that I may have used in hospice work. Um, how that was very applicable to these families, you know, because ultimately, you know, they're going through a lot um, and they're going to go through a grief journey of their own. Yeah. And so that work um, and those skills that I gained, it's I appreciate that I can use them here and to, you know, help my colleagues. Uh, you know, I have a colleague who has a similar background. 
um, her work is actually with trauma. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I always joke with her, I bring the bereavement and she brings the trauma. So, you know, we're quite the, the team there, but from- Maybe don't start a, a duo and let's, let's yeah. not work on it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we're, we are pleasant people, but, uh, you know, it's, it's nice because having, um, experiences in a field that you don't think you belong or mm -hmm. joining a field that people don't even realize how they benefit from it. You know, I talking to emergency managers or, you know, planners, firemen, you know, police, you know, air carriers and to say, you know, how many social workers or how yeah. many mental health folks do you have, you know, on your team? And it's just something that you know, you don't even think about it. And, and in my own personal world, being a supporter of social workers, um, because that is what I am, uh, I'm always looking out uh, or promoting, you know, social work in those not so traditional fields. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's really a, an important place for them um, and their expertise uh, to be brought into things like disaster response yeah. and emergency management, especially in family assistance. I mean, it's a, it's a very vital and important part of if there's going to be a disaster, there's there's a, a personal component. There's, there's yep. people involved and we need to be able to deal with them appropriately and responsibly and help them through, as you said, their grief journey. But as you're talking here, I'm thinking about... Um, you know, talking with member Dinzarn, and she's a, a public mm -hmm. health person who got into traffic safety, two areas that you normally wouldn't combine, but are now becoming combined more often. Same with, with social work. I would say six, eight years ago, not really a major piece of it, not even just for those impacted by a disaster, but even for the first responders, you know, exactly. a critical response team, a critical incident, um, um, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. If you if you responded to a call and involved a child, you automatically had to go through a, a critical incident yeah, uh, like session yep. type of thing. That's a that's a new thing within many departments, and I can't imagine if it took that long for a fire department to get it. Like they were not doing that for for just general <laughs> public, and and those resources were not part of their thinking when they went forward on that. So exactly. I mean, so that so that's a really interesting background, and then tying it into all the other stuff that you've done at the board, I think. Again, the this secret hidden division of of NTSB, <laughs> you were able to kind of find ways that that uh, TDA can help out, you know, a board member or or you know the vice chairman or the chairman, like how it can fit into some of the things that you know that they do, the outreach activities that they do, um, you know, the I can the the staff of TDA travel. I mean, okay. you guys travel way more than than the rest of us, I think, sometimes. Oh, yeah. And so getting out there in the outreach events, but you also know how much a, a board member travels and the kind of places they go. So uh, being able to t hopefully tie messages together and information. Exactly. I think in our world, you know, what we realized over the past several years is that we're not in a silo in our operations. Yeah. Any way we can reach um, you know, those stakeholders or what we call the family uh, assistance response communities, um, whether that's through our board members or ourselves, that's that's how we uh, that's how we can plan and work and be prepared. Um, we are a small group. Yeah. We only have four or five, five yeah. now. So uh, but. It hasn't stopped us. Our size has not stopped us with, you know, I think 
I don't know if this is an internal perception, but uh, how big our impact can be. Yeah. And um, we really do try hard to do a lot of outreach efforts to promote, you know, family assistance. And it's kind of nice. I mean, being a, you know, NTS beer for as long as I have, you know, my commitment to the agency is definitely there and I'm very loyal to this agency. So I'm very proud of our mission and I want that to be, you know, projected in, yeah. you know, our the work that we do in family assistance as well. So it, it's kind of, it's nice to be able to, you know, promote the organization that you work for, but then also impact a bigger cause on the outside with, you know, encouraging family assistance to be part of everyone's operation yeah. and not to forget that you know it's it's one thing when you know the fires go out and the search and recovery is over and you know people are getting to go home but some of those families aren't so they're going to stick around and if you don't prepare for that you know it's can make life a lot harder yeah mm -hmm. uh our listeners know that uh it's not just you and me in the room and so we have a question <laughs> from the uh from the gallery that um leah was just curious if uh, and she doesn't have a microphone today, uh, okay. I didn't. I I didn't listen to James <laughs> and bring the fourth microphone in. So you know, but um, she's curious if any of the victims' families have advocated to have recommendations based on the accidents that they may have been involved in or or something like that. Um, and if so, were they closed or implemented? Like, is there a sure? You know, I mean, we make we make recommendations based off the investigation. And those go forward. And I know some victims' families, uh, some survivors get involved mm -hmm. as well. You know, can you think of a case where um, some families have come in and and helped push the recommendations forward and get them implemented? Sure. You know, um, there have been several. Like I said, you, we exist because of family advocacies back in, in the 90s because yeah. of their work. So, you know, advocacy is a huge part of, um, I think, some families um, journey. And we, yeah, we do. Uh, I hate to say this. I usually will have to, uh, tie you all in, in safety advocacy group, because that's your area. Yeah, that's so, but, yeah. um, you know, there's been a couple that I can think of, you know, I think one of the biggest, uh, examples were the families that came from the Clarence, uh, center, New York accident, um, it was the Colgan accident. Okay. Uh, you know, they were huge uh, players in getting the legislation passed. That was the flight service for pilots, mm -hmm. I believe. I'm sure there's a better technical yeah, I can't think of what the name title is yeah. of that. But, you know, they, they were a huge part of getting that pushed. And you even hear about them today when there's, you know, attempts to kind of maybe change those requirements or the hours. Um, you know, uh, you'll see their quotes in the in the newspaper yeah. and, and them going on the Hill talking to the legislatures about, you know, this is why it was put in in the first place. So, you know, they're, they've been a big, um, you know, more headlining uh, group, yeah. advocacy group. Uh, we But we also have other families um, who may not have been involved in such a large scale accident, but things like duck boat safety. Mm, um, yeah. I've worked with families who, you know, lost loved ones um, in that operation. And now they have been very successful at the local level to get some of those laws passed for city ordinances, you know, in, in duck boat operations. Um, so, you know, they've really driven that home and now they're taking it nationally. 
um, you know, and then other families, most recently hot air balloon accidents and the FAA regulations or the lack of regulations that the NTSB is pushing for. You know, we have families there who have um, been pushing uh, for these changes or for the implementation of these laws by the FAA. And these families have really, um, and I think even uh, Chairman Selmalt mentioned it in his uh, speech, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, acknowledging some of their advocacy work to try to get the FAA to get those passed as well. And, you know, their mission is in line with what we're trying to push as well in the safety uh, recommendations and advocacy work. And I think that's a good point. It's, you know, we the recommendations and the implementation is not done in a vacuum. We try to involve as many people as possible. And this goes to the what you were talking about, the mm -hmm small staff wise but big footprint that we try to do so advocacy will work with with tda or anybody else to try to help move these things forward and so you know about it and so you'll tie people in with us or or different mm -hmm. groups and it's just kind of to grow that footprint to help bring safety to the forefront and and hopefully uh, uh, implement things faster than they probably would have taken maybe on their own exactly and you all your office um in safety has been quite helpful to us because many of these families are looking for outlets um you know who yeah. who's making change who's changing things in industries um you know i may not have that information but you know being able to connect them you know across the hall yeah. is is great and i and i hope that it benefits us in the end because i think a lot of what they're looking for um does in line with the recommendations that we've issued as an agency for change and I think, you know, you all have been very helpful to connect the families to the people who make change yeah. um, out in the industries and out in government, um, which, you know, you know, for TDA, you know, we are, uh, you know, within the division and we do a lot of outreach for family assistance operations, but we couldn't do it alone. We couldn't help them on our own when they start looking um, for families to start pushing for, you know, changes in operations or requirements or laws. Um, we really do have to, you know, depend on you all, yeah. the other agents or the other divisions here at the board to to help help do that. I, I mean, it really is part of, of Chairman Sumwalt's, you know, put one NTSB. I mean, we all work together for the same thing, different divisions, but but all coming together to do do very similar uh, well, similar mission. I mean, we're all trying to make transportation safer. So exactly. Um, uh, with the the few minutes that we have left here, and this is kind of an awkward transition from all that, but uh, <laughs> we is it interesting to see uh, then Vice Chairman Member now Chairman Somal to watch the progression? Because I mean, you worked in his <laughs> office, and full disclosure, we also have someone that currently works for Chairman Somal in the in the room today too. So, but from your perspective, <laughs> has it been interesting to watch his progression? Too, I. I, I'm curious as for me, just. Well, you know, honestly, I'm going to say no. When I began working for um, then Vice Chairman Samal, now Chairman, he his dedication to the agency was always apparent. Um, he would tell us stories about him in college sitting there, you know, on a Saturday night reading NTSB accident investigation <laughs> reports. You know, and for someone who had that much, uh, you know, interest and dedication, you know, to see him rise um, to the chairman level, I think it's a great fit for this agency because it's it's something that is truly 
a part of him and and his you know dedication to you know safety so i i i am happy to see that that's where he uh has gone um it's always been uh, nice to to see those people in the chairmanship to really, you know, believe in this agency. You know, he's been here for a while, so I think he understands where yeah. a lot of us come from. And I don't think a lot of federal agencies get that advantage. You know, they get people that come in here who really don't know the history or know the people. But you can walk down our halls and chances are he knows your name, whether you're an intern um, or, yeah. you know, someone who works in his office. Uh, he's very um, dedicated to the agency. And I, I saw that the moment I began working for him. And that's really not a pitch for uh, for him. But he's always just been a, a he was a wonderful boss when I was there. And uh, I'm very excited to have him uh, in that position because I think he's been a support um for us in TDA, yeah, um, and he understands the importance of family assistance within our division, and it's nice to have someone in leadership who appreciates and respects the work that you do. Um, so I can't, I couldn't be more uh, happy to have That's a support cool. in his office. See, I knew you worked for a member, but I didn't realize it was for him until <laughs> you said it. I was just, it's, it's, I, it's just kind of funny how you know, people kind of move around and, and the different experiences, how they all feed together and you get to watch the people. So not just staff, but it's interesting to watch the board members grow too, as they learn different parts and the different, I mean, from a pilot. So I just thought I had to ask. Yeah. I mean, it's a <laughs> unique history. The And then the last part is, is um, you have the unofficial, you're the unofficial historian of NTSB oh, no. on reality TV. Oh, <laughs> yes. So this was, uh, again, the, the session I attended a few weeks ago, <laughs> there was a um, a clip from a reality TV show that was um, getting a, a point across on um, to deal yes. with, with grief, I think it was, yep. which then led into <laughs> which show was this from? And then come to find out, you actually have been able to track when NTSB has made reality shows. Yes. So uh, the nickel, how, how did this come about? Uh, do you, do you relish your position as the unofficial uh, NTSB reality? I do. And I feel it's extremely (laughs) valuable research that not many people here at the agency has tapped into. Um, But you, we, in my world, you know, we talk about the need to, you know, for self-care and we need to have, you know, those opportunities to relax. So for me, I have learned that, you know, binge watching reality TV is awesome time to get my <laughs> I... mind off, you know, my everyday work and, and the stresses. But what I also started to noticing, because I have to revolve it back or I have to evolve it back to the NTSB and our mission is that. There's actually been several episodes, and I hope I can say it, like of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, Mm -hmm. that have tied to accident investigations. So you, there's even an episode that has a quick feature of one of our ASIs. So, um, did you know which ASI? I know he's going to kill me, Um, but Dennis Diaz, who's the chief of our (laughs) Eastern Region, uh, he actually has an appearance, a very short, quick appearance. On, uh, it was The Bachelor, I believe. Okay. Yes. Uh, so, you know, um, and I, I have mentioned this to him several years ago, so I'm not sure if he remembers it. But again, you know, we are trying to look for, we don't work, uh, and the reason why it was in a training, so yeah. to give you yeah, a little right. bit of background tra- yeah. on why we're showing reality TV in a, 
in a uh, an NTSB TDA training is we, <laughs> no, we it's, it's better just to leave it out there. Let, <laughs> I know, people, wonder let people wonder how that why. ties in. <laughs> you know, oh, yes, it, it is. And it's it's I think it makes an impact, but we don't have a lot of uh, visuals or uh, things of families. And we do yeah. that for a reason. Yeah. Out of respect, we're not going to go and record families in grief and, um, you know, or experiencing crisis after an accident. Um, you probably won't even find many photos of my own colleagues out in the field. And we do that intentionally. You know, this is, uh, you know, safety and security is, you know, really important um, for the people that we are working um, with and those families. So, you know, as an alternate, you know, reality TV has come along and they, boy, <laughs> you know, if you're looking for any, if you're looking for people in crisis or, or, or grief and bereavement examples, for some reason, reality TV doesn't <laughs> even turn the, the uh, cameras off for those. So we've been able to kind of utilize some yeah. of those images or examples to kind of show uh, those types of experiences because it's. It's the best thing that that we have outside role play and and things like that. I love it. I love it. No, it was it was a very impactful clip. And you're right, reality TV and the cameras never turn off, and it's out there. And it's not often you catch that experience right from the moment someone's notified of a of a death that you get all those immediate reactions. It was great for those and of us in the audience to to see you know, a group reaction to those kind of responses. So yeah. kudos to reality TV. But then that led to, uh, we learned about your uh, your self-care yes. and some of the shows that you watched. And I did not know that the NTSB was featured on both The Bachelor and The Bachelorette exactly. in different sequences. So uh, that's for you know, those of you playing trivia at home, if you had that, or bingo at home, if you had that space, uh, go ahead and stamp it and we'll see how you do at the end of this season of Behind the Scenes. So, there you go. <laughs> um, well, cool. Well, with that, Stephanie, thank you very much for for joining sure. us. I, I know we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm glad we were able to get it get it together and get you on. And now you, as a podcast fan, you now are on yes. a podcast. I know. This is very exciting for me. I've never done one of these before. Well, you know, Which maybe you, maybe we'll of... have some co-hosts as we go through here, you know, and I we'll we'll get extra to. people on and we can do all of that. So that would be great. I think I would do very well as a co-host. I, I think you would so. too. So I've got that written down in my notes here. Awesome. But So thank you very much. So uh, dear listeners, thank you for joining us. And I'm not going to forget to thank James again for making us sound good. Thank he, you, uh, James. Yeah, we, we uh, appreciate all the work that he does and the rest of the group in the audience, uh, the the silent majority in here. Silent presence. Yeah, just, just staring at us. Love that they're here. Um, so uh, thank you all very much for listening. Again, uh, find us on ntsb.gov and all of our different social media channels. Rate us on your favorite podcast platform. And uh, with that, thanks for coming behind the scene. Bye.